Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick Bonkowski, and this is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. We've got Robert Anthony here today. I'm super excited. Hey, Robert, how you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. I just want to uh, walk through some bullet points here with you because you are one of those people that admittedly I have followed for for quite a while. And um, I just want to kind of list off your resume a bit. Um, You are obviously a patient advocate. You were part of the U.S. amputee soccer team. You participated in the AMP1 basketball for, I believe, about five years. You're the founder of Limb Possible. You've been on multiple TV shows. You're a public speaker. You are a triathlete. And to top it all off, you are a rapper as well. <laughs> um, you know, when I think about you, Robert, uh, I have to say you are one of those people that I would describe as fully engaged. And when I say fully engaged, I mean as an amputee, as someone who is in the limb loss community, you are uh, just a, a, a tremendous force, obviously an incredibly active person, and you touch so many different things with your life and the way you embrace being an amputee. I have to say it's extraordinary. So for me to have you here and you blocking out this time, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for highlighting uh, some of the great things I've been uh, able to do. And I'm honored to be here. You know, seeing once you reached out to me and kind of seeing that you were following and that you were interested in having me on the show, um, it's just an honor to be here to share my story and any inspiration that I'm ever able to give uh, throughout the things that I've gone through um, and turning some of the negatives into positives is, I feel like, is my purpose. So thank you for highlighting that. Yeah, and I, I, I appreciate you saying that because, you know, I know that you've been an amputee all your life. I mean, you became an amputee before your first birthday uh, at, at, at 10 months old. So your perspective is interesting. I mean, it's it's definitely something that when I became an amputee in my 40s, I, I never really considered what would it be like if I spent my whole life this way? And, you know, I think the place I want to start with you, because obviously it's a very, very compelling part of your journey, is your childhood. Becoming an amputee at a very young age, obviously, is, is you know, uh, an extraordinary way to begin your life. But the research that I've done and the reading that I've done on you and so much of, you know, who you are, even now to this day, seems to be defined by what you went through as a kid. And I was hoping you could sort of walk us through that as far as what those early years were like and what you experienced, not only as a child, but as, you know, growing up as a young adult. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So uh, you hit it right on the head, honestly, and I 
I like how you elegantly put it together <laughs> uh, okay. because, yeah, I wasn't even one years old, you know, when I had my leg amputated. And, you know, the only thing I really remember is what I see in pictures, you know, to be honest, of, of before having surgery. And, you know, it wasn't easy for my mother because she was only 22 at the time. And it's not like she had a ton of advocates or other amputees willing to coach her through, you know, what her child would be able to do and some of the things that I might be able to accomplish. And, you know, it just, I'm honored to say that she made the best decision possible so that, you know, I can be the man that I am today, you know, but while working so hard to support me and to give me the life that she felt like I deserved, you know, she had to be out of the house. She had to leave me in the care of different people, which would all, uh, again, molded me to be this person because I had so many experiences of bouncing around, interacting with different races, being in different situations, having to fend for myself, you know, in some sorts, you know, and it, again, it turned me into this gentleman who was able to um, accomplish certain tasks, be in different groups, travel, you know, um, and give me the confidence that, you know, hey, you know what, I need to um, step into this group or I need to speak up for someone who's getting bullied, you know, because it all happened to me. Uh, when I was at an early age, uh, it kind of gave me tough skin. Although back then, you know, being in, you know, an abusive situation, being in a house fire, um, I didn't know why those things happened to me. And I was insecure and I wasn't confident. But, you know, sometimes that road that's paid for us, um, if we're willing to walk it, you know, and and stay committed, then there's light at the end of the tunnel. So, so let's back up what a I've second. Been able to do. And I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you there. No, go for it, please. I, you know, I have to uh, just take a moment and say, given the resources that you had as a kid, growing up in uh, a difficult home environment, okay? And let's just talk about what was available to you in terms of prosthetics. I mean, what what was your leg like? What 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 was that experience like as a child, given your situation, socioeconomic, whatever you want to call it? What were you walking around in? What was that like? Yeah, technology was night and day um, compared to now. And so if you know what a satch foot is, you know, which back in the day, day was a, a foam foot without really any carbon fiber, um, mm. <laughs> didn't have any energy return. So if you were someone who was active like myself and all I wanted to do was kind of be able to be picked and tagged. And when I was playing baseball, which was my first sport, being able to run to the bases hard and fast and be able to, to be active, the feet that I had were able to compensate, you know, for, for what I was outputting. Um, and now we have liners and things to keep ourselves comfortable within our legs. And back then I was wearing tube socks, you know, over my, my residual limb inside the leg. And were you breaking, were you breaking things? I mean, literally always. like breaking parts and pieces of your, of your always. prosthesis? Always, always. <laughs> Interesting enough now is that I work for Hanger. So I'm a community care coordinator for Hanger Clinic. And back then I went to Hanger as a patient. And so there's actually a few people who still work at Hanger now <laughs> who remember me coming in as a kid you know, after breaking feet and they often tell those stories of me coming in, you know, needing a foot or my mom duct taping a foot um, until oh, we were man. able to get back into the office. Duct taping a foot. Imagine that. I mean, it's, it's to me, 
you know, I'm so reliant on my prosthesis now. Even the slightest thing that squeaks one way or turns the wrong way, whatever, you know, I, I, I tend to go into like a panic mode. I can't even imagine having to get out the duct tape <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, yeah. to be able to function. So given that set of circumstances, I mean, let's face it, Robert, we all, I shouldn't say we all, maybe there's some people that didn't have this issue. I certainly had this issue growing up. You're, you're insecure as a kid. You're, you're trying to find your way. You're trying to find where you fit in. You know, what group of kids do I fit in with? You know, you're talking about, hey, I, you know, I wanted to be picked and tagged too. What, you know, what was that experience like? Because I remember being painfully shy as a kid and, and having a lot of, you know, sort of uh, hyper emotions about being accepted and finding friends. Can you even articulate what that felt like as a child, knowing that you were different in that way? And I guess, in other words, what I'm trying to find out, was it something you hid away a little bit? Or was it just something people knew? Because, I don't know, you had to wear shorts at some point. Can, can you kind of describe that for our for our listeners? Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting you say, can, can I articulate that? Because those emotions, they never leave you. You know, uh, when you held on to them, kind of like how I held on to them, uh, because those days were so long. Uh, wow. I often refer to it as like the twilight zone. Because although I'm an adult now, um, that pain and the insecurity and the fear of all of those things, wearing shorts, but not wanting to wear shorts. Mm. If I could, and it's a hot day, uh, I would wear pants if I could get away with it. And there were so many moments, you know, over the tenure of, of being, I guess, the other version of me that wouldn't be able to hold his head up high or say, hey, this is my leg, you know, wear, wear it proudly. Uh, that, that version of Robert was just, you know, very much so, you know, timid in a, in a sense. And although I was always energetic and outspoken, um, I wasn't being 100% myself because I was hiding something. I was hiding my leg. And as a speaker now, I, I say people, you know, it's, you know, we have these scars and it's better to wear them. But when I was younger, I didn't wear mine. You know, I tried to, to fit in with clothes, with gear, but mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, accepting myself and I didn't embrace myself. So I realized that other people didn't embrace me either. You know, girls, when I like girls, you know, and, you know, I had a bad limp and I have so many stories, but the biggest thing was my mother and her just often telling me that I wouldn't be given anything that I couldn't handle all the days that I was insecure, the days that I did like a girl. She told me, I won't date you because you have a prosthetic leg. You know, th those moments of my leg coming off because I'm in school and I play kickball and I kicked the ball too hard. The ball went and so did my prosthetic leg, you know, oh, man. Um, <laughs> you know, things yeah. of that nature. Uh, but any it, it child, so that, much. but let's face it, any child that kicked a ball in their shoe, let's just say their shoe, we're not talking <laughs> about a prosthetic leg. If their shoe fell off, that would be embarrassing. Right. Yeah. As a kid, as an adult, we kind of laugh at those things like, ah, you know, my shoe fell off. But as a child, everything is so magnified. I remember as a kid just feeling things on such a deep level where a certain look, 
maybe someone said something to me a certain way or a certain tone in their voice would just send me into a very, very emotional state. So when I try to do the calculus on a person like yourself who has this limb difference, man, I just, I I can't even imagine what that would have felt like as a young man. Um, There were no anti-bullying campaigns. That didn't even exist, correct? I mean, you- sir. We, we, you know, I grew up in an atmosphere where very often that was just considered a rite of passage. It was just something that you endured because that was what my parents would say. And, you know, and, and I don't know how your mother approached it, but my parents would say, well, that's just, that's just part of growing up and you're going to have to just deal with it. And like you mentioned previously, develop that thick skin. You know what I mean? Yep, hundred percent. And uh, those those moments made me into the person I am today as a father. Now, uh, I so I, I actually learned this lesson yesterday. Um, I work with a gentleman who's, who's a prosthetist, and he was telling me, you know, we were you know giving each other kudos, if you will. Uh, but then he mentioned to me, you know, he's from a different generation too, he's a little older, and he was just saying that that little sense of insecurity actually is good for a person. So you can tell someone how great they are. But you got to leave them with a little sense of insecurity, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I try to do that now. I'm like, all right, I got to do that as a father too, because I can't just, you know, give my kids so much. You got to, you know, sometimes just say no, just because it needs to be no. And they need to understand that they're not going to get everything they want. Uh, and I feel like you, you're exactly what you're alluding to. You know, we had to just toughen up. That was it. You know, so in a, in, that's good in a way sometimes. Um, and then it can also be counterproductive. Sure, absolutely. Do you feel like because so much of what I perceive just through my lens, if you can help me understand, was was being active, being in sports was was for you and your experience as a young man, was that sort of what was empowering to you and kind of gave you confidence to sort of move forward? Was, was sports yes. and being active, was that what that represented for you? Yes, not even as a young man, still still to this day. Uh, sports was my outlet. So just thinking about the things that happened to my, in my life, not only my leg, but just some of the tragedies that I had to face. Uh, mm-hmm. Sports was a way I didn't think about anything. If I was playing basketball or if I was on the baseball field um, or if I was playing football, I didn't think about my life and my situations. I thought about that sport at that moment, being good at that. And so it was my way to get away. You know, it was an outlet, but also it was a way to show people what I can do instead of what I can't do. And that, oh man, Rob can run. Oh, he is fast. Oh, he can play this sport. Uh, So, and the more that I gained confidence and the better that I got, uh, it was just, um, you know, it kind of, it worked and it became an identity for me. And it's just something that I love. I love to compete, you know, even to this day. And that's kind of what sports have done for me. And when did the music piece sort of enter the picture? Because I know there was a period of time, at least from what I've read, that you were pursuing music. I mean, you were, this wasn't just like a hobby. I mean, you were, <laughs> and, I, and I'm a musician too. So, of course, I, I kind of zeroed in on that part of your of your story, and I thought, oh my gosh, this guy he 
he was literally doing like big venues and and he was becoming something in terms of you know the rap industry can can you sort of walk us through you know how that happened how that sort of came to be and how it got some momentum in your life yes sir yes sir music was my everything so um although sports was my outlet music um as a teenager growing up in new york hip-hop being very prominent you know, from the, that, that late 90s, early 2000 era, music became um, my, my go-to. And at the time, it was my passion. I often say this. And I thought it was my purpose, too, <laughs> although sure. it was not. And I started off by poetry. I, write, I wrote poetry and, you know, Romeo and Juliet. So Leonardo DiCaprio, that Romeo and Juliet movie came out. And I would take some of those, those lines that they would say and I would write them to notes, you know, to girls sure. and poems were kind of my thing. And Tupac was a big inspiration for me. And he came from this tough background um, and similar to myself. So I often saw myself in, in that lens and I began making music. A good friend of mine had a computer back when you were just recording the computer. Yeah. And, <laughs> and what I would do is I would just rap over his computer where you only could do one take and if you messed up, you had to do the take entirely over again. And so if I had a feature on the song or something, we all had to do our verses over, um, plus the hook. You know, that was ninth grade and it was an interesting time, but it made me better until uh, about 10th grade when I got into a real studio. And we created a rap group and I knew I wanted to do more of it. And so we started performing um, in about 10th, 11th grade. And we found like some local record companies, but nothing ever worked out. And just like every other artist, started off in a group. It was a bunch of guys. Then it trickled down to a few guys, then less guys. You know, as you get older, as you get more serious about it, as you yeah. start doing shows and have to promote tickets and make shirts and things of that nature. Um, becomes a business. To, um, yeah, it becomes a business. And you, then you see who's actually about it. And, you know, traveling to the city, having to wait in line, perform, yep. one, perform in front of a, a lot of people. And it became more of my lifestyle and the culture. But then I moved to Arizona. And uh, my senior year in high school, ended up moving to Arizona, which was tough, you know, as a senior. But yeah. I developed more, you know, more of my music there. Found another record label that I was kind of working with. And my partner, who was in my rap group. Um, so back then, too, a gimmick was big, right? So I was missing my leg. We wanted to use my leg. I started to get my confidence then. He was dark skin. I was light skin. So we both had long hair. It was oh, like sure. a kid and play dynamic that we okay. started playing off of. And I actually ended up moving back to New York. My uncle became our manager and he was popular in the industry and knew a lot of people. He invested like over $20,000 into us so now we're doing photo shoots. We're performing in a, uh, I mean, recording in a professional studio. Um, and that's when we kind of started doing stuff for like 50 Cent um, and just kind of promoting on his street team and promoting his albums and being just wow. in the mix, right? Yeah. And, uh, that's you're in the community. Kind of, you're, you're doing yeah. it. Yeah. And then we started performing at Orchard Beach in front of thousands of people. Started Maria Davis and being on stage and having just a... a, a thousand person crowd, girls tearing our clothes off once we get <laughs> off stage. And our egos got bigger the same time as our career got bigger. Imagine that. And we that. were getting ready. <laughs> yeah, we were getting ready to go on tour with Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh. And that was it. It was, uh, our moment was coming, you know, uh, yep. and it was starting to take off. And we felt it. We both felt it. And we, you know, um, we had so many shows lined up. 
and we were getting ready to go on tour and we had a huge fight and that fight caused us to split up as a rap group which was so ridiculous because we had so many things going um but again we had a bigger purpose aligned and from there i went on as a separate artist there's a ton of music videos on youtube still to this day uh but i started just pursuing music on my own until it developed into kind of what i was doing that you know what i'm doing now as a speaker but yeah. uh, music was my everything so so obviously the you know not to seem cliche the band breaks up i've been <laughs> I've, I've been there too uh all my ho- all my hopes and dreams but uh when did you realize that talking to kids public speaking obviously bridged into bigger endeavors where i know you you you're a powerful speaker you know with with businesses and large groups of people um when did you find that that was part of your calling because for for a lot of folks that are in that particular space you know i I, I know that there's usually an epiphany. There's there's that moment where they go, you know, I, I can I can do this. Like I can have an impact and I have really something to offer, you know, to to others. You know, whether that's my story or, you know, my experience and how I can connect that to the group of people that I'm speaking to uh at that moment. When when do you feel like you took that turn? Oh, well, I've been speaking for a really long time now, and uh, I've had several of those moments as I've transitioned um, as a speaker. Mm-hmm. And one of the first, the very first moment I'll say is similar to making music. Uh, uh, when I started speaking, I was speaking with a group. So Amp One um, was the first time that I was introduced to, you know, what actually the impact that actually what I was doing and what we were doing at that time, you know, and at that time I already had been on a few television shows and what we would do is we would go to a state, you know, Freedom Innovations was one of our sponsors, as well as we had Nike on board and we would go to a state for about three to four days. And in those three to four days, we would go to schools and companies. We would speak, tell our story and say, Hey, come watch us Saturday night. We're playing here versus an all able-bodied team. And we were all amputees. We would often win those games by 10, 12, 15 points. We were really good. So it was a sight to see guys not in wheelchairs, in prosthetic legs or missing out. Yeah, arms. I just want to I want to I want to touch on that just really yeah. quick. Amp yeah. won um this basketball team really what what Robert's describing was remarkable because you know, this was full court, correct? Yep, correct. And uh, these guys are not in wheelchairs. I mean, they're in their they're in their their prosthesis and they're playing full court basketball and they are beating teams that are not in any way shape or form uh you know, showing any kind of disability. Yes. So how old were you when that was going on? Cuz I want to relate that to the timeline here. Yeah, yes sir. So I joined Amp 1 when I was 25. Okay. Got yeah. it. So my first year with them I was 25 and uh so about 10 years ago and yeah, and it was a sight to see, and to be a part of it was magical. Yeah, and again, we played D one colleges, D three colleges. We did <laughs> NBA half times. Uh, it was just amazing, you know, to be at that level. And like you said, four quarters, full court basketball, 
tough, tough, tough um, games. And we lost and we also won. And it was just magical at that moment. But what we would do is in that town, in that time span, we would speak and we would go speak to these schools as a group. And all the guys had amazing stories and had been through so many amazing things. And we, when we came together, it was so mm-hmm. powerful. Um, when in 2013, we went to Indiana and we spoke at a church. And at this church, we won the basketball game and you know we did our speech. Our message was to never give up. And we got back to our hotel room that night. We got a message on Facebook. And it was a young lady who was about 13 years old. And she, she said that our message inspired her. Her parents had just got divorced and that she wasn't doing well in school. And she was thinking about taking her life. She had plans mm. to commit suicide that weekend. And that message really resonated with me. I know it did with the whole team, but for something stuck out in me. And I said, wow, what we're doing with sport is phenomenal. But this is actually, this is something that I feel like I'm being called to. So at the end of that year, I actually planned um, for Amp One to come to New York and focused a lot on the speaking plus the basketball. And I knew I just needed more again. Um, And then I started getting a few bookings and one of the other guys lived in New York as well. So him and I, just as a two band duo, we started doing schools and similar what we were doing with Amp One, but just the two of us. And I saw the impact that it was having um, and that it was making on kids. And I wanted to continue to speak more and um, being less about just the sport because not all amputees play sports, you know, not all kids play sports. So did that for about another year or two, did it all for free and started getting tickets and my gas price, (laughs) gas tank started filling up and uh, I had to manage work and a family. So I said, I needed to make this a job. And I started doing that, uh, made Limb possible and created that, had a few other guys with me as well. And we were able to start making some money speaking uh, and doing that, you know, fully. And that was kind of the, the, the motivation. So uh, it made a speaking career, did it as a team for about a year and a half to two years. And then there's another popular amputee who you may know, um, Josh Sunquist. Sure. Sure. Yep. So, um, the more that I started doing with Limb Possible, I started speaking on my own again. Guys started filtering out. And then Josh Sunquist, who plays on the USA amputee soccer team with me, um, we had an interesting conversation in 2018. And he's very popular in our space and an amazing person. He actually ended up taking me under his wing and started kind of bringing me to the gigs that he wasn't able to go to and allowed me to, to enter in his world where I was now traveling as a solo speaker, doing 60-minute presentations um, because Josh couldn't be there. And that allowed me to enter into the Robert Anthony space uh, fully as my own. And that was another milestone for me. And today, Josh and I still work together, and it's just been phenomenal. Um, so well, as a speaker, it's Yeah, that's such a, such a fantastic uh, evolution there. And I wanna I wanna talk more about uh, Limb Possible in our second half hour. We're gonna take a, a quick pause here and do a segment that we uh, always do on every podcast called Camps You Should Know. Hey, on Amps You Should Know, we're talking today about Rex Burris. Rex has an incredible story all around, actually. He 
actually became an amputee after suffering a heart attack and being induced into a coma for almost four weeks. So his battle in terms of the medical side of things was pretty extraordinary. And he is a trimembral amputee since 2018. So that would be left leg below the knee. I would describe Rex as someone who is completely immersed. And when I say immersed, I mean in the amputee lifestyle, fully embracing his amputation and making the best of his life. If I could give you a couple of points here, and this is by no means covering everything. He is, of course, a certified peer visitor. He leads the Amputee Foundation of Greater Atlanta. He leads the peer visitor team for Emory University Rehab Hospital. He is also someone who designs amputee-inspired T-shirts at, he has an Etsy store, at ampu, A-M-P-U, t-shirts.etsy.com. Rex spends a lot of time in the gym, and he's very, very active in the amputee community, obviously. You know, I've had some really, really cool, funny, um, heartwarming exchanges with Rex uh, online, and I could tell right away that he was someone that I wanted to introduce to our audience. He definitely exemplifies the pursuit of excellence and being yourself and sort of putting it out there and just being the best person that you can be. Um, Rex Burris, he's an amp that everyone should know. Hey everyone, we're back with Robert Anthony. Uh, we've been uh, talking for the last half hour about uh, a number of things, a number of accomplishments, uh, many of which are just uh, fantastic and extraordinary. I want to actually get into the short film uh, that you did called Able. And I have to tell you, for me personally, and, you know, you know, honestly, Rob, I'm not just blowing smoke here. I mean, this was probably one of the most touching films I've I've ever seen um, in terms of bringing these stories, you know, this this diversity of stories about different amputees at at various levels, different different stages, let's say, in their amputee journey. The advocacy piece is truly remarkable. I mean, it's beautiful to watch. Thank you. And it's just um, something that really, really got me uh, right here. I mean, just boom, right in the heart. And knowing that you not only are this very high-functioning and, and very engaged guy in the community, but you have this incredible gift in terms of this sensitivity towards this gentle kind of encouragement that you give people. And that's, I mean, that's really something because, you know, I, I think it would be pretty normal for someone like yourself 
that you know has been an amputee your whole life and and participate in something like a triathlon to sort of look at someone you know that can barely walk out the door and even to be able to find that patience and that guidance and that mental space to say hey man you're doing great oh man you look good today oh wow like man you're doing so good think of where you'll be in a year i mean that to me is really really powerful stuff and Thank you. it's it it's really a gift that you have that ability um and certainly a, a blessing that you have that opportunity to share those moments with you know uh amputees when they're when they're going through you know hardship or 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 a portion of their journey because i always look at so many of these things as uh an issue of trajectory where am i pointed okay because if i'm pointed in the right direction it's really just a matter of time it's really just a matter of time before i reach my destination because I need someone to help point me. And you are definitely one of those beacons where you're able to come into that space and go, this is just follow this, go this direction. And yes, it's all, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. Can, can, you, um, can you describe how the, how the film came about and, and you know, um, what that was like participating in that? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words. Uh, I truly appreciate that. Uh, the film, you know, means a lot to me as well. Just a blessing to be able to do it and to highlight, again, just anything about my life. Uh, because as we speak, you know, the things that I come from is not much. And I've had to, <laughs> I've had to scrape <laughs> for everything that I have, including the, to be in the position to help amputees that way, um, as well as to have the ability to make a film like Able. And it came about because of doing a speaking engagement and, you know, doing, um, do, I was doing a school and Newsday came down to highlight what we were doing, you know, for, for the kids and the gentleman that was shooting specifically, him and I had a great conversation and he wanted to do a documentary. And once he, once him and I had a conversation similar to like this and he was like, oh my goodness, he was like, you're doing, so you're actually doing some of these things. I'm like, yes. So he was like, let's just put a camera behind some of it uh, sure. to, to highlight it. And so, yeah, so that's what we did. I, I found, you know, some of the people that I was working with who were willing to be on camera and, you know, some of the sports and things that I was participating at that time. And we were able to highlight what I was just actually doing um, in that, in that actual space, in that actual moment. And it was just beautiful because, the film goes on to get nominated for an Emmy and right. I look back at it. My children are in it, you know, uh, so they'll forever be able to look back at, on it. And it was just my job. You know, it's, I had to work to be a professional in the industry. Uh, I would, I wasn't, I wasn't, um, I wasn't able to get a job, you know, as a professional in the prosthetic industry for a long time. And so I had to fight for, for that, you know, and then to, to again, to have my story covered, you know, to put all of that together is hours and hours of work, of coordinating, of scheduling and getting things together. So it was it was a lot um, that went into it, but uh, just an honor to be able to now look back on it, um, to see that it can have an impact on you know, that someone like you can enjoy it as well. Yeah, it's such a it's such a great time capsule. I mean, when you say like 
it, it really is. It's wonderful that your kids, you know, they're in it. And for them to be able to look back and they're your kids' kids, you know, your grandchildren and their children to be able to look back and say, you know, th- this is this is family legacy kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's just, it's such a wonderful piece, certainly inspiring, you know, for myself and very revealing of, you know, who you are at your core. And, you know, like you were saying, you know, this filmmaker said, oh, you already do those things? There, there, is, there is nothing about this film that is anything but genuine. I mean, it is just true, just very real emotion, very real dialogue. It's just um, such, a, such a genuinely beautiful sort of series of moments. And I would, I would highly recommend... Um, I actually saw it on YouTube. I don't know if there's any other ways to to view it. I just, uh, if you search, you know, Robert Anthony Abel, um, it comes right up. But I don't know if there's other ways to to stream it. And um, I would I would highly, you know, highly recommend it. Um, I do, you know, I wanted I wanted to say something to you, and I I was sort of bouncing around online the other day, and this video popped up of you. <laughs> and you're laughing already because you're probably. Know what I don't I'm know because the other was if it's if it's a if it's a this video <laughs> popped up of you. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of videos out there. <laughs> this video, I think it was very, it was very revealing of just truly, just how fun of a person you are. You're at a party, and you're dancing, and you take your leg off. Do you know what video I'm talking about? Um, I have a few of them. As a, uh, I, so I, first of all, I don't even know how you even saw that, but <laughs> which is fine. Was that, supposed, was that supposed to be deleted at some point? I don't know. There's so much stuff out there now, but I don't know. Even well, know it's, a wi- it's, a, it's a wild scene. Okay. okay. It's a wild scene. It's, it's, an, it's a banging party. I mean, it's like okay. everyone is just having a great time. Yeah. And you, you're out there. You're just living life. You take your leg off. I mean, you're literally swinging it around. It, it was one of the most um, just euphoric kind of moments. And everyone is just loving it. And it's just, I don't know. It, it, to me, it's just this celebration of life. And it, it, it's funny that now you're saying, well, there's a couple of them out there. Yeah. So this this is something that you do. Is that what you're saying? That's just you. Uh, yes, it's something I do <laughs> and I've done. Uh, so I've been in mo. It's just a, it's a moment thing. I don't do it all the time. But you know, if, like you said, if you're feeling it and it's like, well, I didn't what? think you were going to do it right now. You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could if you want. Uh, no, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, but no, yeah, it's just something that you kind of you know you feel it. And you, yeah, if you're in a moment, it's, it's euphoric and you're like, man, this feels great. I'm that comfortable in this space, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what you do. No, I, and that, that to me, for, for so many of us out there, you know, that are amputees that even hesitate to get on a dance floor, um, you know, hesitate to participate in normal family things, even a family gathering, wanting to go to a picnic or a barbecue or, you know, um, go to, you know, a carnival with family or friends or, um, you know, for myself, 
just being able to, you know, spend uh, a weekend with my granddaughter and be outside and walk around. And it, it's such a blessing. And when you celebrate that, which I, I see that that video as just a celebration of life, that these things do not hold us back. They just yes, don't. Yes, not, yes, not from happiness and not from the things, you know, that we truly enjoy. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about how you go about preparing, because I know you're, you've always been a highly athletic guy your entire life. It's something that you identify with. It, it's, it seems to be, in, in a certain way, almost meditative for you. It kind of fuels your soul. Um, when you compete you know, in a triathlon-type setting, what is that process like for you? Because I, I, I do speak to a number of different triathletes and everyone seems to have a little bit of a different process as far as, far as how they approach it. And for someone um, that's considering getting into that arena and competing, um, can you give us some insight there as to what that's like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, one of the things that you said earlier that I wanted to touch on as well is just the, the, the being able to help guide maybe a newer amputee and um, having that motivation to do so and patience, uh, which is one of the words. And so even in the triathlon space, you know, people see it as, you know, this large mountain. But the truth is, you know, for some patients, walking might be a triathlon in their mind. And being able to just to gear them up and giving early confidence because early confidence leads to early ambulation. Um, and I feel like I've been able to be called to do that. And even though I'm active, you know, I've always felt that it was my duty and, you know, why I'm called here is to just try to help people. And I made a promise to myself when I was young, that when I was an adult, when I became an adult and I had the ability to, I would try to help as many people as possible. And, with triathlon, with sport, I feel that I'm able to inspire. So when I race, you know, I just got back from Japan a few days ago, you know, racing for Team USA and it, you know, so many people are inspired by it. And, and I appreciate that because that's what I do, you know, to race. I race for people who feel like they might not be able to race or they don't have the confidence or they can't necessarily run or bike or swim that way. And gearing up my preparation first and foremost is taking in all of that and know that why, my why, why am I doing this? Because triathlon is such an individual sport. You make it about yourself. Mm -hmm. And so, which it is selfishly, you know, but the truth is I try to remember who and why um, and what I'm doing. So those, that's my first piece of preparation because if you're in your own head, you get lost. And of course, training is a big part of it. And knowing that everything's going to be okay at the end and, the truth is just being able to cross the finish line is a blessing to be able to have your heart rate that high for that long and going through all three disciplines, you know, having to carry three different legs for all three different pieces of the sport, you know. That's, and I think, where I become fascinated is because, you know, the hardware you're employing, you know, throughout that, you know, throughout that competition you know, you, you have to be adaptive to those three disciplines. And, um, I would think that, uh, you know, 
your limb specifically. Uh, and the one thing I noticed about your residual limb is that it's pretty long. Um, yes. And that was uh, due to your, your, you know, obviously being uh, an amputee as a baby. Um, if I'm understanding it correctly, you essentially didn't have an ankle, correct? Yep. Yep. So no, no ankle. And it was just a foot. So basically like a flat foot. So my leg was deformed. Uh, I only Got had a tibia it. bone, right? So I don't have okay. a fibula. And so it was just like a long <laughs> tibia bone. Uh, sure. You know, and, and yeah, so it's a little longer than like the general rule of thumb for an amputation, which is about six inches below the patella. So I'm at about seven and a half inches. Um, so I do have a long residual limb. Right, right. And um, obviously you've got, what I'm hoping you have, you know, to compete on this level is good support in terms of all of the prosthesis and, you know, different, you know, legs and, and different feet and different things that you need in order to do those things. And when you're training, you know, uh, you know, biking, swimming, running, um, how do you break up that training schedule? How do you, how do you make all of that gel so that you're ready for competition? Well, it's always an adaptation because I'm still learning how to train the best way. And you're always mm -hmm. kind of honing that in. But I have a coach and my coach schedules my workouts on a daily basis. So it might be swimming and running today, you know, because swimming is a little easier on the body and running is a little bit more pushing it. Um, or it might be biking and running. We call those brick workouts where you go okay. right from the bike to the run. And it just depends on the day, where my body is, what competition is coming up, what competition did I just come from? And, you know, he can level my fatigue. He can watch my heart rate. Okay, you're a little tired this week or you have some energy this week. So he kind of uh, vamps up the workouts um, or tones them down. And that's kind of how we schedule it. It's all on a calendar. It's on a day-to-day -day basis. And, I'm, you know, I have a nutritionist. So we're constantly trying to figure out what's the best thing to eat at the right time. And yeah, that was going to be my other question. You know, how, yeah. <laughs> you know, so often when I talk to athletes like, you're, like yourself, most folks forget that nutrition is just as important as yep. everything else. Nutrition is a part of the sport. Recovery is a part of the sport. Although recovery, I'm not doing so well at. I still need work on recovery because <laughs> the downtime that I get, I utilize it to do other things like speaking. Well, that's what I was thinking with, with the, the kids. <laughs> yeah, with 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 raising a family, with uh, the travel that you do, the speaking that you do. Yeah. Um, I would imagine, you know, as a, a as your coach, you know, I would be like. You know, Rob, you got you got to slow down, man. Like you need to, <laughs> you, you know, like you need to recover so yeah. that you can come, you know, you can come back to, you know, uh, come back to the sport refreshed. Yeah. <laughs> and it, knowing you and and the way I, you know, see you on social media, I'm like, this guy's getting on and off planes, and he's running around, and he's got this, and he's got that, and he's, yeah. it's just like, man, that that <laughs> has got to be. I, I always picture like, you know, the analogy of you're, you're spinning a lot of plates at the same time. Oh yeah. That's uh. so you said it and that's kind of my coach. My coach literally is like, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta tone it down. So, you know, this week I just got back from Japan on Monday and yeah. I had to work, you know, so I'm helping, you know, vascular surgeons with amputations and patients. And um, so I was in Connecticut, Staten Island, Brooklyn, the Bronx. So I actually, toned down training this week just because I came off of a big race. 
I needed to kind of reset everything. My wife and I, we just moved into a new home um, about two months ago. And mm. it's been a lot of work. Thank you so much. Uh, I've been a lot of work and a lot of traveling this last month. So we toned it down this week. And he said, that's exactly what he said. And he's like, it's okay. It's okay to tone it down this week uh, so we can pick it back up. I actually race tomorrow morning here locally. And so now we're getting back into it, you know, starting tomorrow. But uh, these last four days, I've kind of taken a little bit of a step back so I can kind of get my mind and my spirit right. That's amazing. That's amazing. You know, I, I think I want to wrap up today with just uh, talking a little bit more um, about uh, Limb Possible and what, you know, what those core goals are for you right now and really taking an opportunity for our, for our audience to know, you know, how they can support an organization like yours, you know, uh, give it, give us, you know, some of that, uh, that mission statement and, um, you know, how we can follow and also how we can, uh, donate. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Limpossible, the main mission is to inspire, to educate and to empower. And that's not only for those with disabilities. Um, I coach kids who are going through mental health issues, um, just overcoming any obstacle in their life. So um, it's developed into um, just a world of educating and trying to help people across the board, um, adults, the youth, overcome their circumstances to become their best selves. Um, we are a for-profit business, so I'm happy the support can come from having me come to your event, to your business, to your school and speak I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and teaching. And then what we do is we take those proceeds and we actually give them to Camp No Limits, and which is an amazing camp that I'm a volunteer for, uh, where we help children all across the country, as well as Limkind Foundation, which I'm a board member for, which what we do is we help children all around the world who can't afford prosthetics. So uh, what you can do is you can actually hire Lim Possible. We will come and do the work, do the coaching, the educating, a fun event, a field day, um, employee empowerment. And then you know that the proceeds will either go to Camp No Limits to help children with limb loss here in the States uh, or LimCon, where we're helping children and people all around the world. Yeah. And I, I so appreciate um, that a lot of your efforts seem to revolve around kids and supporting children. And there's, there's such a, uh, you know, obviously from an outside perspective, at least, you know, my circle of friends and family, they very much see limb loss as a physical thing, um, as a disability in terms of physicality. And I'm pretty quick to correct them and say, you know, so much of this has an emotional component to it. And us being well with our minds is just as important. And those tools for support um, with our minds are just as important as all of the things we need physically. And um, I just, I, I so appreciate you taking the time today, uh, being here, and very much thank you for all the work that you're doing. Um, you know, just within the, the amputee community and something that you said earlier really, really touched me because I so often feel the same way. 
in that when you're running, you're not just running for yourself. You're running for all of us, you know? And when someone is getting up in the morning and, and donning their prosthesis and saying, okay, you know, I just got to get to the kitchen or I just got to get out the door. And they think about you and the way that you tackle this thing, you know, head on that inspiration, that, that, that bit of imagery, hearing your voice, seeing a video, you know, uh, watching a blog, whatever that is, it gets them going, man. It gets them up and moving. Um, you know, in, in my own little orbit, in my own little world, I have family that comes to me and says, you know, you inspire me. And my response is always, I, I do the things I do for everyone. It's not just for me, you know, because as, as humans, I believe we, we possess an energy. And sir, your energy is very, very bright and very, very strong. And um, again, thank you. That's going to wrap it up for us. I, well, uh, I would like to say for to you, thank you. Oh, yeah. Because for having me in this space, you're inspiring to me too as well. So I want to give you flowers um, just as much because one, if anyone knows doing a podcast is not easy either. It takes a lot of coordination, a lot Certainly. of changes, um, and you have to do a lot of homework as well. So I appreciate and respect what you're doing because what you're doing is just bigger than you, like you said, because you're highlighting Absolutely. others like me and bringing awareness to our community and our industry um, That's around it, the world. So your, I'm, your family is 100% right, um, all your supporters. And it's just, uh, I'm very grateful and blessed um, for you having me on the show today. And I would just like you to keep up the great work and uh, anything that I can do to support your mission, I'm all here for it. Oh, I thank you so much. With that, wow, beautifully said. I'm Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. I want to wish everyone health and happiness. We'll see you next time.